0: I will explain to you briefly why it is that you are not dead.
1: Whoa, Mark, take it easy. I'm just here to do a podcast.
0: Huh? Oh, hey, Kelly. I didn't see you there. Sorry. I was just reading one of my favorite passages from Ian Fleming's James Bond book, Live and Let Die.
1: Ah, uh, yes. The one where our good friend James battles Mr. Big, the New York gangster, and another of Smirsh's agents.
0: Yeah, and I gotta say that Mr. Big from the book is by far my favorite Bond villain. I mean, the way Fleming portrays him and his personal philosophy almost legitimizes all the campy, cheesy stuff the franchise (laughs) is known for. Yeah,
1: well, that may have been true for the book, but it didn't really come across like that in the movie.
0: Right? I feel like I could talk for a good 15 or 20 minutes about how the book and the movie differ.
1: Well, why don't we do that now and invite our listeners to join us?
0: All right, then. Everyone grab your exploding cufflinks.
1: Or your grapple hook wristwatch.
0: And come along with us as we look at James Bond here in the books. And they're in the movies. (laughs) (laughs) That just turned into porn music. Sorry.
1: Sorry. Too much. Too rich. Okay. Uh, Part two, the birth of the Bond villain.
0: Today we're looking at Ian Fleming's second James Bond novel, Live and Let Die. And in case you haven't read it, We here at The Good, The Bad, and The Podcast always have a synopsis close at hand. Kelly, you want to give it to them?
1: Sure thing. Here we go. Uh, James Bond is not a superstitious man, but it's hard not to feel unnerved in the presence of Mr. Big, a ruthless Harlem gangster who uses voodoo to control his criminal empire. He's also one of the Smursh's top American operatives.
0: Because why not? Why not use voodoo?
1: (laughs) Yeah, Exactly. (laughs) Uh, Mr. Big has been smuggling British pirate treasure to New York from a remote Jamaican island and funneling the proceeds to Moscow. With help from Solitaire, Mr. Big's beautiful and enigmatic Creole fortune teller, and his old friend Felix Leiter, 007 must locate the crime lord's hideout, sabotage his operation, and reclaim the pirate horde for England. From the jazz joints of Harlem to the shark-infested waters of the Florida Everglades, Live and Let Die sends Bond headlong into the exotic.
0: Nice synopsis. I thank you. Uh, you didn't write it, but you read no, it really didn't. well. No, I didn't. thank you. I tried to infuse it with um, uh, That was from Amazon.com, maybe, if we, you know, just a little shout out to where I copied and pasted from. Yeah. Uh, poor Felix Ladder too. I feel so bad for him. But let's start our discussion with Mr. Big, like I teased in the intro. He really is a great character in the book, at least. And I want to actually read a full passage. It's like two paragraphs, so hopefully our listeners can bear with me reading for a moment. <laughs> Mr. Bond, this is Mr. Big speaking, the villain, I suffer from boredom. I am a prey to what the early Christians called a the deadly lethargy that envelops those who are sated, those who have no more desires. I am absolutely preeminent in my chosen profession, trusted by those who occasionally employ my talents, feared and instantly obeyed by those whom I myself employ. I have literally no more worlds to conquer within my chosen orbit. Alas, it is too late in my life to change that orbit for another one, and since power is the goal of all ambition, it is unlikely that I could possibly acquire more power in another sphere than I already possess in this one. Mr. Bond, I take pleasure now only in artistry. In the polish and finesse which I can bring to my operations, it has become almost a mania with me to impart an absolute rightness, a high elegance, to the execution of my affairs. Each day, Mr. Bond, I try to set myself still higher standards of subtlety and technical polish. So that each of my proceedings may be at work, may be a work of art, bearing my signature as clearly as the creations of, let us say, Benvenuto Cellini. I am content for the time being, that was my Italian accent. I hope you liked it. <laughs>
1: That's beautiful. I,
0: I am content for the time being to be my only judge, but I sincerely believe, Mr. Bond, that the approach to perfection which I am steadily achieving in my operations will ultimately win recognition in the history of our times. <sighs> End quote. Poignant. So. What he's basically saying is he's explaining why he uses all of these tricks that, mm-hmm. that may seem uh, un, not very subtle. Mm-hmm. And they do that in the movies a lot. You know, you have rotating booths that trap Bond and you've got all these gadgets. And it seems campy and, and you know, kind of silly almost. But this that passage, you know, legitimizes all of it. He's like, I'm so good at what I do that this is the only thing that entertains me anymore mm-hmm. is perfecting it with all these little flourishes, you know.
1: Yeah, and and that passage is so important in explaining why the end plays out the way that it does. Because you could, I mean, spoilers ahead, people, but if you, you could argue, like, why? Once he captured... Bond and Solitaire, why didn't he just dispatch them immediately? Right. Like, why did he have to concoct this elaborate thing and let them live for however many more hours until he can do it the way that he wants and it's because he needs right, them yeah. to meet this poetic, artistic high elegance ending. Yeah,
0: You know, it's which is funny because in the movie they, of course they never use this in the movies mm-hmm. but in the movies you're like, oh, why is he doing this? Why is he telling Bond a <laughs> plan? Wah, wah. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, Ian Fleming completely gives it credit and says here's why you know because this guy is an artist you know it, com- it completely legitimizes the rogue gallery of all these villains and why they do all these silly things they do
1: and okay so so regarding the ending they uh, throughout the book bond has caused him considerable setbacks you know and, and perhaps he he has this this seat of power that he's cultivated for himself and he he doesn't want to lose that, but his reputation as being the big bad is kind of losing a little bit of its grip because Bond is, is besting right. him in, in several scenarios, and so at the end, I feel like he needs to rein it back in, get back to that yeah. artistic oh, yeah. death to get back on top and be right. like, see, this guy didn't get the best of me, I still got him, Wah-ha-ha.
0: Yeah, in fact, look what happened to him. I didn't just shoot him in the head, and I drug him through the shark-infested waters.
1: And, oh my gosh, tying back into the last episode when you mentioned how brutal these novels are, I mean, that is grisly. Oh, like, yeah. I'm I'm going to drag you over these coral reefs, and then I'm going to leave you for the sharks to feed right. on your parts.
0: Yeah, and uh, in the first act, you know, something grisly happens in all three acts. This book is kind of in three parts, and we'll talk about the second one in a, in a second because it was not my favorite Bond scene ever. But uh, in the first act, Bond gets his pinky broken mm-hmm. uh, and, you know, is pretty seriously wounded and has to escape. In the second act, Felix Leiter gets nearly killed and mm-hmm. we kind of leave him on a bed and don't know what's going to happen to him. And in the third act, we have this near torture scene. In fact, they're tied naked to the to the apparatus they used to drag him through the water. And, you know, mm-hmm. the, and so it's like, oh, my gosh. And, <laughs> yeah. and, of course, we'll talk about the movie in a second. But, you know, the movie is nothing like that. Uh but, the, okay, so the second act of this book, they're in St. Petersburg, which is like an old folks city <laughs> yeah. in Florida. It's like the least James Bond exotic, you know, place I could imagine for a book. So That's so true. I would say that probably wasn't my favorite part of the book. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they also, there are a couple, there are going to be a couple scenes upcoming in other series where we talk about kind of the mistakes Bond makes that oh. I don't really get. Mm-hmm. Uh I feel like he should have known better. So they, they escape with Solitaire. They get her on a train. And they get to St. Petersburg. And Felix Lider and Bond decide, let's go off to this other place we have a lead on and leave Solitaire in this home. You know, it's like, <laughs> yeah. what? I,
1: I know she just ran away from this menacing right. warlord. Right. Like, you don't think he's going to come after her? Exactly.
0: And of course she gets captured to set up, for, you know, for the third scene. but
1: and she And there's the whole part where she's like don't leave me I have a sense that something's going to happen <laughs> right. I'm like dude yeah. she listened to the things she is saying it was
0: pretty unforgivable on, on Bon Felix's part uh, these guys are artists at villainy and torture <laughs> yeah. and uh but surely they didn't follow us all the way to St. Petersburg yeah, they, where yeah. their shipments are coming in you know, we know they have people here but yeah. anyway uh, it was kind of hard to suspend my disbelief at, at that moment in the book yes agreed um uh, the other thing this book explored was uh, the love of M. You know, he actually says the voice of M whom I love and obey. Right. And that was really, you know, that kind of took me aback and kind of brought up memories of the newer Daniel Craig movies with uh, Judy Dench and the, the kind of mother-son relationship they have. For sure. And, uh, in fact, Mike even mentioned, I saw this again, that M, uh, Ian Fleming called his mother M. Mm-hmm. And that's where he got that name and decided to use it. And, you know, kind of like Mother England. And so he really is... Married to the job in a sense, mm-hmm. and uh, so I like that they explored that here.
1: They did, and it was a very subtle little thing. You just kind of slipped it in because there hasn't been very much of that kind of language in these two books so far right. between you know, Bond and M. So yeah, I, I enjoyed that.
0: Uh, what did you think about how race was handled in this book?
1: Um, <laughs> it was it was it was fairly uncomfortable at times. Just the because there was a lot of. Um, it wasn't so much. I'm trying to think about how to how to phrase this. Um, That's okay.
0: It's not a touchy subject nowadays. Yeah, yeah right. Is, Nobody you know, cares.
1: I, yeah. Yeah. sorry it, to put you on the spot. No, no, it's okay. It's just I I think most of my discomfort came from the use of certain terms, and they were I I guess I mean this was written in the early 50s. This was before. Uh, A lot of civil rights happened, so I suppose it was fairly commonplace. And and if this book was to be reviewed at that time, where somebody was reading it at that time, maybe they might not... I mean, this might not even be a talking point. But today, as a modern reader looking back, it's pretty uncomfortable.
0: Yeah. Uh, I was surprised that it wasn't worse than it was. Yes. Uh, We have the passage here where M talks about... uh, he says, and the Negro races are just beginning to throw up geniuses in all professions, scientists, doctors, writers. So, you know, they mentioned that, you know, this is a group of people who's now kind of burgeoning and blossoming into their mm-hmm. own. And, and he says, uh, you know, why not a villain? You know, it's about time they turned out a great criminal. So, you know, he talks about, you know, it's almost giving a little support. But then you get a lot of the stereotypical characters who mm-hmm. are, you know. Uh, who may have been realistic stereotypes, but stereotypes nonetheless. You know, you right. may have seen kinds of these people in Harlem and, at this time. But uh, but af- after Casino Royale with the sexism, I was really expecting because I thought, yeah. oh, there's not at least there's not racism in Casino Royale, and I, I got to <laughs> live in let I was like, oh, it's all black villains. So like, oh, <laughs> yeah. where are we gonna go with this? Dun, dun, dun. Uh, but for me, it wasn't uh, it wasn't hard to get through. I guess
1: but, no, it wasn't so much um speaking derogatorily about African Americans. It was j ju- it was really just the use of certain words. Right. That that we no longer use. You know, if the if, but if you were to, you know, think if you were to kind of in your mind substitute other words for more, you know, culturally sensitive, it might not seem yeah. as I don't know.
0: Anyway. Yeah. Um, and this is another another interesting case of we have the book that's pre-civil rights and we have the movie that's post-civil rights because it came out in the 70s. Mm-hmm. So it was interesting to see how they handle it in the movie as well. And at times it came off really kind of hilariously. In fact, we can maybe move into the movie if there's nothing else you want to say about the book.
1: Uh, sh- yeah, sure. No, that's great. Okay.
0: But before we do, let's take a break and hear from one of our sponsors. This episode of James Bond Here and There is brought to you by Fleming Brand Trick Cigarettes. No spike it would be complete without this little number. We give you 20 cigarettes, all uniquely outfitted for whatever pickle you might find yourself in. From poison dart launcher to low-grade explosive to cyanide delivery system, you won't want to leave your house without them. Just imagine it now.
1: Hey there, handsome devil. Mind if I borrow a cigarette? I'd rather you didn't.
0: That's right, ladies. Fleming brand trick cigarettes are the cure for what ails you. Now with oral contraceptive. Fleming brand products for you and now back to the program Uh, my favorite line in the movie is you've got a honky on your tail <laughs> yeah, yes. o- that was great the opening scene where we see this network of uh, the black criminals who are following Bond and he doesn't know he's being tailed you know, of course we've got one of them saying that you've got a honky on your tail as Bond's following you know, their lead and, <laughs> and they're following Bond but that uh, was like, oh gosh, here we go. Yeah. Uh, in fact, the uh, the actor who played Mr. Big was was told not to come to the premiere of the movie because they were afraid uh, of riots and stuff. They were afraid of the reaction of him being cast, of a black man being cast as the lead villain. So we actually didn't even go to the premiere, which I oh. think is kind of horrible. You know that huh. you've kind of made it into the you know the these iconic Bond movies, and you don't get to enjoy the premiere, uh, which oh, just kind of sucks. But uh, the movie, I hadn't seen it since I was very young, and I had expected a little more. It was two hours, like just at two hours. And for me, it kind of drug on a little bit. I don't know. how. What was your experience?
1: Uh, the same. It was, in a word, terrible. Uh, particularly, I, I mean, okay, so we, we spoke last time about how Casino Royale, the spoof, would be a bad movie in my eyes, as opposed to an ugly. So right. this, for me, Live and Let Die would be an ugly.
0: I think so, too. Because-
1: it is ridiculous, but at the same time, I'd probably watch it again. Like there's elements yeah. of fun to it. But something I really felt like dragged on too long was the boat scene and the horrible <laughs> like Buford T. Justice <laughs> yes. Sheriff that was yes. just hard to watch.
0: One of the trippy about uh, the movie is that the boat scene when they wrote it out was titled the best boat scene ever filmed or something like that. <laughs> and I thought, really? Uh, it was the longest boat, <laughs> boat chasing probably ever filmed. Yeah. But, yes. uh, I really liked the sheriff and I felt it get, gave a good, uh, equilibrium with the black stereotypes and the white redneck stereotype. I thought, okay, that's true. You know, yeah. that I almost feel like that's why they threw him in here, but he was off the wall. He, I liked him. <laughs> he was ridiculous. It was, he's definitely an ugly character, yes. you know, I'm
1: do do do. Yeah.
0: That's, that's all. I'm not even gonna use words. Because you don't even need to. You don't need to. That you get the you get the idea from that impression.
1: With his fingerless gloves and his like wad of chaw <laughs> in his lip and just.
0: It was over the top. It was. Uh, oh goodness. <laughs> now, it, I felt like another shortcoming of this movie was that there were too many bad guys. It was hard yes. to keep track of them all. You had the overweight. Uh, driver a whisper was his name mm-hmm. you had the guy with the metal claw you had mr big and <laughs> kananga who ended up being the same person uh but for me that reveal didn't really do much for me
1: well it was sort of confusing right it
0: was i don't think i feel like there may have been stuff cut out of it or, or they had edit <laughs> stuff where it didn't because we never even spoke with mr big right roger moore came in bond came in and Mr. Big basically get him out of here go kill him and and bond escapes. And I'm like, "Well, they could have they I mean, they could have word for word had that pa- paragraphs I read it from the book and it would have made it a great movie. I you know, yeah. he, it would have really given this villain some depth. But uh, there were so many of them that you lost kind of track of who's the real bad guy here and and
1: uh, and oh, yeah. and they really didn't i mean that's i 100% agree with that there were too many bad guys and also mr big was such a fantastic villain in the book i mean he was right. this imposing figure and he was he had his this supreme intelligence and he was just had this this poetry about him but and he was scary he was intimidating right. bond was intimidated by him but in the movie not only were there too many extraneous villains they didn't they didn't it, Making him Mr. Big slash Kananga really weakened it in my right. opinion. It just kind
0: of split him up into two people, and
1: exactly we never
0: got the full force of just one main villain.
1: And he wasn't even that. I mean, it just was not the same for me at right. all. He didn't have any of the the, the power or the right. I, I the know. actor
0: was great. He could have pulled it off. Yeah. I think if they had given him more to work with, and the makeup was really great too. Because mm-hmm. I had completely forgotten. I had no idea he was wearing makeup. And when he ripped off, I was like, "Oh man, yeah." Wow. Because I'm assuming that was the same person. <laughs> yeah. I'm assuming it was makeup the whole time, and they didn't have two actors. Mm-hmm. But uh, so that would have been really cool if they had done something a little more powerful with it.
1: Yeah. Um,
0: so I feel like we may need to talk about Solitaire a little bit here. Uh-huh. And uh, Bonds, we're kind of getting into Bonds womanizing now with the, some of the classic movies. Watching it, watching it this time, I realized he totally took advantage of Solitaire. Like yeah. he totally used her religion against her and tricked <laughs> her into sleeping with them you know it's like and then she just forgives him easily he says well i may have stacked the deck again, you know in my favor you know this one throw off and it's like oh it doesn't even matter I, you know but yes. yeah it does it kind of
1: does yes you know it. if
0: it's almost like i don't know going to a born-again christian and saying <laughs> you know look at this i don't know like i don't even know how you would do it but you know look at this mother Teresa in the, my toast you should sleep you know it's telling me to sleep with you and then right. you know, i don't know it's it was just we may have to cut that out. That was ridiculous. <laughs> We're going to keep going? Okay. I
1: like it. My producer's tell
0: me keep going. All right, we'll keep going. But anyway. And then and then Rosie.
1: Oh, my gosh. He figures Rosie. out Rosie
0: is on the other side. But before he <laughs> decides to interrogate her, he's like, I'll sleep with her one more time. You know, pull up <laughs> on the side of the road and sleep with her. And then I'll interrogate her. Like, what? Why
1: did you need to do that?
0: Well, Come on, Bond.
1: I was cracking up because right after, like, when they're having their sexy picnic times and... Uh, she's wait
0: wait wait wait. sexy picnic times i'm just gonna let that (laughs) sing it for a second (laughs) good memories okay moving on it's what
1: it sounds like (laughs) um he pulls out a gun and he threatens her and he's like now you're going to tell me everything you know and she's like how can you do this when when we just happened and he's like well i certainly wouldn't have killed you before (laughs) (laughs) like oh my gosh
0: yes and I remembered it, him being a womanizer, like I remembered that part. I was like, well, both of these are like kind of horrible by today's standards. I you thought know. it was going to seem a little more forgivable.
1: And he didn't like the whole thing with Solitaire was totally yeah. deplorable. And he, but-
0: and in the book, Solitaire was much more willing to sleep with him. In fact, I think she like, I think she like flashes him in the train scene at the, in the in the first part of the book, and she like remember reveals herself to him and in this in in the movie she's much more reserved and and doesn't want to and he kind of has to pry it out of her but yeah
1: she i mean jane seymour jane seymour i think is like one of the most beautiful women of of, of all time she was great cast but but she did not bring the same pizzazz to the character i don't think that was in the book because the solitaire of the book was pretty saucy like she was if you remember when she when he first is introduced to Solitaire, when Mr. Big is questioning him, she comes out with her cards and she like smushes her boobs together and is <laughs> right, like, yeah. "Check this out, yeah. baby. This is <laughs> this is things to come." And and the scene on the train. Do you remember when they're escaping together and she's like,
0: "Oh, I mean yeah, that yeah, was yeah. that
1: was I was like wowzers." She's very this
0: explicit is. about what's going to happen. What's will eventually happen between them. Oh Yeah, she's like, well, she, here's what to expect.
1: That, plus, plus extra, you know, she's like really, you know, pushing him up against the wall and they're yeah. like making out and stuff. I'm like, girl, you need to... Girlfriend. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> but, but none of that was in the movie. Right. She was so demure and she's like, the cards, the cards, I, you know. Yeah. But... Uh. Anyway, I I was in, I thought the solitaire of the rook was much more engaging. I think so, too. As opposed to Casino Royale, where the Vesper of the movie was more engaging. Right. This time, they flip-flopped it.
0: And that's actually one thing I wanted to do. We didn't do it in our first episode, but we can uh, backtrack it now. I kind of want to, at the end of these, decide which was better. The book or the movie? Mm-hmm. So let's do Casino Royale. Okay. My vote is the movie's better.
1: I think mine would be as well. The
0: book is really good, but mm-hmm. the movie is just hard to hard to beat. Yeah. So what about Live and Let Die? Book or movie? It's definitely the book. The book. Definitely... Even with the second act being kind of uh, lackluster, the movie I just can't. <laughs> it's it's it... It was hard to watch.
1: Well here's another tie-in to the last episode when we were discussing good editions versus bad editions and uh-huh. good changes versus bad changes from book to movie all there were so many deviations from the book in this movie live and Let die and literally none of them were good <laughs> right they were all bad like the Rosie character was so annoying right. she wasn't even in the book um what else let me see um, oh the, the, the gadgetry there wasn't really much right. of the gadgetry in the book.
0: And they, in fact, they even decided in this movie to cut back on the gadgetry because they felt it was becoming too much of a standby. Mm-hmm. And there was still too much, you know, and the watch. He didn't wasn't even really able to use the watch. By the way, how silly was the scene where Mr. Big dies at the end of the movie? He gets blown <laughs> up like a balloon, and then <laughs> it cuts to an explosion. That was oh horrible. I I mean, it was so that. silly and cheesy. Oh. I was like, "What has happened?" <laughs>
1: Wow Even
0: for that movie It was weird to see Anyway Alright Yes We'll leave you all With that image Of a man being blown up Like a balloon And just exploding That's not what would happen
1: In that scenario anyway Oh my gosh I'm crying Alright
0: So next time We'll be looking at Moonraker uh, Which is I believe Going to be way different From the movie Uh, So go out get a copy of the book and watch the movie and join us. Uh Kelly want to tell them where they can find us online?
1: Yes, definitely. You can find us on iTunes at Good Bad Podcast or you can go to our website www.itsjustawesome.com.
0: Great. We'll come and join us as we look at James Bond here in the books
1: and there in the movies.